0: Isn't that awesome? What a cool video. I love that I get to step in right after that. Man, just awesome seeing uh, not just how God meets a need, but then also invites different people in, uh, just like her, to also then continue to meet needs for other people. Uh, All throughout history, all throughout God's relationship with the Israelites, with the Jews, with Christians, followers of Jesus, that is actually the story, is God doesn't just want to be a blessing to them, but also a blessing through them. And you and I get to be a part of that. So welcome. Good morning. Uh, My name is David. If you don't know who I am, uh, I'm on staff here within the Zero Collective, which is just a family of churches here in Grand Rapids. And it's always a gift uh, just to be able to come down here. I love coming to Center Church. I love seeing all of you. I love seeing John and Lindsay, Peter and Emma, and seeing Nick and the rest of your team. I mean, they've been friends of mine for a really, really long time. And I just hope you guys know how blessed you are to have all of them here at Center. God's doing something really cool and really special in this community. And what's fun for me is I get to bounce around at some of the different churches uh, is just seeing the local expression, seeing what God puts on your heart, how it comes through in worship or giving or community partners or space. I mean, every church is so unique for the community in which it has been called. So it's just fun. It's fun for me to come and join and just spend some time with you. So if we're going to dive in today, I, I was like, How do I start like very David-esque? Like here's a David intro for you. Uh, How many of you love breakfast, right? I'm a big guy. I want to talk about food. So we're going to talk about food. I love breakfast. How many of you are hot breakfast people? You actually love making a hot breakfast, even if you don't like making it, you love eating the hot breakfast. Uh, Any of you cereal people, like my wife in this room? Okay, a minority. Sorry, you're in the minority. Shannon, my wife, could eat cereal three meals a day. She just loves it. For me, I, I would die. I'd call that a meat drought. So when we go camping... I love to just throw everything that we have. Do you ever do this? Do you have this person in your family where they start opening the fridge or they open the freezer they look at the leftovers and it's like, I'm going to make all the leftovers disappear in one meal. That's kind of what I like to do. But I like to create this hodgepodge, right? Like I I like to mash everything together. So camping is when it's at its finest because you can't really use like 100% of everything. So you have a little bit of leftover of everything. So when breakfast rolls around, I just scoop about a gallon of butter on some sort of skillet or pot or pan or something. And I just start mashing and throwing stuff. So this looks way more delicious than anything I put together when I'm on a campsite. But it's just an illustration, right? Like you just start putting stuff in. It doesn't matter if it's pepper Or leftover meat or chicken or hamburger, uh, vegetables, like you can throw mushrooms in there. Onions are always an easy mix. I mean, biscuits, food, like I throw so much into it. And for the first time ever, I actually got a compliment. Uh, from nobody in my family, unfortunately, but it was somebody we were camping with. They were like, man, David like comes alive when it comes to breakfast. I was like, heck yeah, I do. This is like, I live for this when it comes to camping. <clears throat> so I, I, I had a better picture of this. Like this is the dream, right? When it comes out or when it turns out like this, do we have the other? Look at that. Does that look delicious? Maybe some of you are like, no, I'll stick with cereal. I don't trust you, David, to make my meal at all. But this, this is like when it comes alive for me. So it, here's what I was thinking about. Isn't it true that sometimes the best things are made up of seemingly random ingredients? Random people, random, you know, you think about like the best work shift or company you ever worked for. You're like, man, we had a bunch of people that had no business working together. But when we all came together, there was a unique expression that happened. Maybe you look or you think about a small group that you've been a part of in the past, and you go, man, that small group that I did life with, very different people, different seasons of life, different giftedness, different personalities, but something about the combination of all of them was really, really special. That's true for food, that's true for school, that's true for life. I mean, if, if you even think, like I'm on a baking stick right now, which kind of means like I'm on an eating stick right now. Like, anything that comes... I made quiche recently. I was like, I just like throwing a whole bunch of different, seemingly random ingredients at different quantities, and what you get, I can't replicate when I cook, you know? Some of you are good at recipes and following. I can't. I made cookies this last week for our small group because Shannon was stressed out. I was like, I got it. I made them. They're the best cookies I ever made. I made them the exact next day, and they turned out awful, and I didn't change anything, isn't it true, right? When you just throw stuff, sometimes it's like for a unique season at a unique time with unique people or ingredients or giftedness or whatever, there's some sort of combination that happens that's like an explosion of creativity and joy and purpose that oftentimes can't be repeated at another season in life. Sometimes it's hard for us when we realize like, man, something's coming to an end here. This thing that we've enjoyed, this thing that was fun, this thing that was special, we see it coming to an end. And like so we don't want it, quite to happen. I think that's a great example just of the church, of God's heart actually for the local church, that that at each church, just like I was talking about earlier, at each church, God brings in a very different set of people with unique passions, and gifts, and talents, and skills, resources, and hearts for things. God brings them together, and it actually allows for a really unique creation and expression of his local church for the purposes of his community. So we're in this series right now. It's called Make Space, and we're tracking through the Old Testament. We're looking at the book of Exodus and how God led his people while they were in the desert, We've been talking about the tabernacle and God's presence and what he does like, and, and how when God shows up, he changes things. God is that special ingredient that's like, man, it, it brings everything together. It adds, you know, egg is, it, here's a technical word, it's called the emulsifier. It actually brings everything together when you're baking, makes everything stick, makes it work. God is like that emulsifier in the kingdom. It's like you can throw a bunch of random stuff and people and gifts and talents together, but the thing that unites all of them is the Holy Spirit. When God shows up and he leads that group of people. So here's what happened. If I set up the context for you, we're going to be in Exodus 25 briefly. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up. Exodus 25. But right before this passage that we're about to read, uh, God and Moses are interacting. They're going back and forth, and they're talking to one another. So Moses goes up on the top of the mountain, and he's there for a while, days and days and days. And it says so much so, like Moses was up there, and the people for six days saw the cloud. And the cloud like engulfed the mountain that Moses was on. Imagine seeing a cloud engulfing a mountain where your buddy and your leader and your friend is up on the top, and you know he's meeting with God. And then it says on the seventh day, this is wild, it looked like the mountain was consumed with fire. And that's when God spoke. I mean, if you're an Israelite, if you're part of the community, you're looking up the mountain and you're going, there's no doubt in my mind, he is talking to God right now. And he represents us. Like Moses is being this mediator between God and us. He's talking, he's community, he's hearing from God right now. What are you wondering if you're one of the people down at the bottom of the mountain in the camp? What did he say? What did he say? We know he was there. We saw the evidence of it. We could see the cloud. We could see the fire. We are in anticipation of what God said to you, Moses. So what did he say? So Exodus 25, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. It's kind of a turn. (laughs) Right? Like, imagine... Imagine you're in a community, right? Or imagine you're in Byron Center and you're like, we're all going to gather and we want to hear from God. And, and then John's in here and this building is just billowing with smoke for six days and then seven days. It looks like it's on fire. And then John walks out. He says, God told me to collect an offering. What do you think? You're like, come on. John's like, come on. <laughs> right? Very different how you say that. You're like, an offering? Take an offering? Let's keep reading. Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive an offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. You're not going to tax them. You're not going to surprise them. You're not going to guilt them. No, no, What God says to Moses is, I want you to take up an offering for whatever moves their hearts. God is so relational just in his nature. He does not want a transactional type of relationship with his people. He he wants a real type of relationship with his people. And and he goes, Moses, I want to do something in your community, and I've already been moving and stirring in the people's hearts, so I want you to take an offering, and they are going to respond with what I've stirred already in their hearts to give. Verse 8, it says this, Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. God's purpose for collecting an offering was to dwell among his people. Isn't that fascinating? He's saying, go ahead, collect this offering so that I can build something. I can build a house. I can build a sanctuary. I can build a space for me so that I can live and dwell among my people. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern that I will show you. The people in the community the Israelites, right? They're in the desert. They've been rescued out of Egypt. They are there. They've been watching Moses up on the mountain for seven days. They are hungry for God to show up and dwell among them. They want him. They actually want him to show up and to be present in their community. And God invites them into the process for making that happen. So cool. Uh, Fast forward 10 chapters later. So Exodus 35, this is when it actually happens. Right, so there's a whole lot more story and narrative that takes place in those 10 chapters. But 35, it's like, hey, remember 10 chapters, 10, 10 chapters ago when we talked about this and God's to take an offering? It's a recap, but it shows you what actually happened. So 35, verse 4. <clears throat> Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord had commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. Listen to all the different stuff he says. Gold, silver, and bl- bronze blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. Notice, the ask wasn't for money i just think this is a cool insight what god doesn't say is go take an offering of all of the people collect all of their money and when you have the money then i want you to go out and buy all the stuff that you need i I almost think that was too like monochromatic for god like it was too it's like that's too one-dimensional like God, God wants more. God wants a unique expression, right? Like whether you're baking or cooking or making breakfast or building a team, God's going, no, no, no. I, I actually want to do something in this community that represents this community. Therefore, I don't want them to do just one way of giving, one way of offering, one way of sacrifice. No, no, I want them to do what I have already moved and stirred deep within their hearts so that I can create something new among them so that when they see it, they see it's an expression of what God has built among them within them. And then God says, that's where I want to dwell. That's, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to take residence. I want to do that. And it was simply what moved the hearts of his people. So then Exodus 35, verse 29, it says this, all the Israelite men and women who are willing. Time out. Did you catch that? All of the men and women, say those three words. Who were willing. Who were willing. This part bugs me. Because it doesn't say all the men and women. God God is saying to his people, I want to dwell among you. I want to reside among you. I, I, I want to take up residence in a tabernacle that is is like a reflection of you. But not everybody responded. It's not in the text, but I mean, I, I would say this. How does God not stir in the hearts of every person that's in the community? You know, I, I want to dwell among you, and I want you to experience it. I want you to be a part of it. I, I don't just want to dwell so that you can come and consume and leave. No, no I, I want this to be a mutual type of relationship with every single person in this community. But 35 says, all the Israelite men and women who were willing... Brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. One of the writers, uh, even in this commentary, he, he writes this When the heart is truly stirred and the spirit makes willing, giving is robbed of all meanness he says, indeed, it ceases to be calculating. Nothing is too precious to be given, and no amount is too great. What happened with all of the people is they went back to their homes, back to their living rooms, back to their garages, back to their pole barns, back to their farms, back to their businesses, and they had to make a decision. Okay, do I value all of this stuff that I have, or the resources I have, or the assets I've produced, or the retirement, or standard of living? I'm going to go back. I have to weigh this versus the invitation that I have from God to create a space where he dwells among. Mess. They had to choose. And I'm not saying everybody made the wrong decision, but what it is in the text is not everybody made the right decision on the right timeline. That some people, it was like, man, their heart became split. Their heart started to stretch. It started to be torn between two things. It's like, oh, man, my stuff and my life and my assets and resources and mine, 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 versus God's given me an invitation. And Moses said, if it stirs my heart, well, I'm not sure if it stirs my heart. And so people were split. Those who were willing said, I've been waiting for an opportunity to be a part of this relationship with God. I've seen him on the mountain. I've seen the clouds. I've seen the fire. I've heard from Moses. No, God's moved in my heart. I want to be a part of that. And so all who are willing came, and they brought these incredible, incredible gifts, but not all of them, which leads me to say this. We are all uniquely positioned to contribute to the kingdom of God. So this is my favorite line of this whole sermon. I'm going to read it to you because I want to get it right. You ready for this? This is so cool. God wanted to build his house with the gifts that moved the hearts of those in the community which included the white collar, the blue collar, the artists, the woodworkers, the farmers, the fashionistas, the foodies, and the Petoskey stone collectors. (laughs) He wanted all of them. Like, it's all in there. I mean, it talks about gold and silver and bronze, yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins, leather, acacia wood, olive oil, spices, incense, onyx, stones, and gems. Like when when people went back, the things that they valued, the things that they cared about, the things that they were already passionate about, God said, I I don't just want to take something that you don't care about. I I don't want to take anything from you. I want to build something that represents the things that you have access to that you love. I want you, every time you show up and you engage with me, you don't just see your thing in isolation. You see your thing combined with everybody else's things to build this overwhelming, beautiful creation where I live and I reside because it's a a, a representation of me and how diverse I am how multifaceted I am, how personal I am. Every time you show up, you, you would look. I'd be like in this room going, I, I see that artwork. Or I see that guitar. That was my guitar. Man, it was passed down from generation to generation. Or, or I see the food, the coffee that was produced. And I know my family was the one that farmed those beans. It, it's like every time you would show up, you would have a connection to the place because you gave to God and God took that thing and he mashed it all together with everything else and he made it far more beautiful, far more meaningful, far more valuable than it ever would have been on its own in your possession. God took that, and that was the invitation. He goes, I want to do something big. You know what the Israelites actually donated? Some scholars have tried to add it up, as if you can. I mean, it's like, how would you quantify that? But some of them, guess they donated about $13 million worth of goods. $13 million of goods of a bunch of refugees walking through the desert. Wow. Think about the hearts that were moved by the relationship that they had with God that they go, This thing's not that valuable to me in comparison to you, God. I want to give. I want to see what you can do when I give, when I be obedient only to, catch this, only to what you've already prompted me in my heart to give. That was God's desire. He doesn't guilt trip them, He doesn't force them, He doesn't manipulate them, He doesn't even put them on the clock. Isn't that cool? I don't know what your perception of God is or has been or when it comes to money. Here's what I know. My bad side comes out when when I start talking about both of them at the same time. I start getting frustrated or I start getting defensive. I start getting controlling or I start getting insecure. I start wrestling through a whole bunch of emotions that it's like, well, I thought that was done. I thought we were good. It's like, but when we start talking about money, money's deeper. Money's security. Money's significance money's freedom when you when you start getting at some of those things that money is attached to on a root side it starts undoing things to go okay do i value my relationship with god or do i value my relationship with my stuff and my stuff is linked to these things but these things are actually far more shallow than i give them credit for Things like financial security or financial significance or financial purpose or financial freedom. These things aren't actually very deep. The invitation I hear when I start wrestling through this stuff, when God moves my heart to give something, the thing that I hear from him is, David, I'm the most secure thing you could ever build your life on. Far more than the thing that you're holding on to. David, I'm I'm far more valuable than the thing that you're tempted to to, to hold on to rather than me. David, the invitation, all of this comes from me. Like, there's nothing in here that wasn't created by our Heavenly Father. He just wanted the opportunity to let his children be a part of crafting the tabernacle in which he resided with the things, catch this, that mattered to them. Isn't that cool? Like, so often I... I unintentionally dehumanize God. It's like, oh, you're just the big guy in the sky, right? You ever heard that? You're just the big guy in the sky. You just want my stuff. I'll just give you my percentage, and I'll go on with my life. God's going, yeah, I'm never going to settle for that. It's like a father. I I have two boys, right? I have a a three-and-a-half-year-old, almost four, and then I have a a nine-month-old, almost one. When I get gifts from them, it means more than if any of you gave me the exact same thing times a gajillion, right? I mean, you know, you get it. I don't even have to explain that illustration. I, I have this thing for my birthday uh, this last summer. What my wife did is she took all these little, uh, like almost post-it notes, just little cardboard or like construction paper type things, and she, they just wrote out. So she had Judah be a part of it. She said, what are you thankful for? What do you love about Daddy. And so they just wrote, so I I have these three kind of hanging things of like, this is what we love about daddy. I hang it in my office. I look at it every single day. It's one of the most precious gifts I've ever received from my son. Why? Because I see what he loves to do with me. Same thing with my wife. I, I, I see this part of her heart. These are the things that mean a lot to her. These are the things that are important to her. It's like the, that gift is so precious to me. Let's put a value on that for dollars. I don't know, a couple pieces of paper. You know, It's like for God, think about for God. God's not after your stuff because of its dollar amount. He's after the things that grab our hearts because he wants to reside there because he wants you to come back and go, man, my hope is in him, my trust is in him, my security is in him, my values in him, and all of this stuff I have, I'll give it to him in a heartbeat if he asks for it, because he has my heart, not that. Such a cool, relational type of God that invites his people to be a part of it. So check this out, Exodus 36, starting in verse 3. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. This is just fun. Like People are like, dude, we, we got a train going here. Like, like it started and there's momentum and it's building. So let's keep going day after day after day. I mean, imagine you go out into the fields or you go out to collect something or you have a really good profitable day at business. And it's like, you see the, the, the temple, you see the offerings, you see the mound of stuff that's starting to build and you start getting the vision of like, God's doing something among us. God's doing something in our midst right now. He's building. I had a great day. I can give a little bit more. I, I can give a little bit more. I want to bring more. Man, I didn't even think about it. I have this thing in the shed. I haven't used it in a long time. Kept it because my wife wouldn't get rid of it, but blah, 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 blah. You bring it over and you go, why don't we give this? Why don't we give that? Right? How many, this is just side note, how many spouses brought their spouse's stuff? Who knows? Who knows? I tell you what, my wife would have donated a lot of my stuff unbeknownst to me in the name of the Lord. verse 4 so all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and they said to moses they literally stopped construction they came back and they said this the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the lord commanded to be done well we don't hear that too often in church do we They're bringing more than enough. We have too much. They keep bringing more and more stuff. We're going to be here forever. All we're going to do is build the biggest temple, the biggest sanctuary ever seen, because people keep bringing and bringing and bringing and bringing. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. The first order is to stop giving. Well, that's intriguing. He gives this order throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. It's like, okay, we get it. Enough. We got it. No more. We don't need any more. And so the people were restrained from bringing more. Have you ever been restrained from giving? I haven't. People were so in love with God. And they're living in the desert, you could argue, one of the most insecure places of their lives as a people group. And they couldn't stop giving to the point that their leader said, knock it off. And you can see people like coming under cover of night, like, one more box. (laughs) So excited to give. So excited to be a part of it. So excited to see their their little castle play a role in the big kingdom. And it moved them to such joy. What happens when God's people live into their unique contribution to the kingdom? There's more than enough. There's more than enough to go around. What it doesn't say is they all gave so much, and then they realized they had overgave, and a famine hit the land, and they all starved, and they all died in the desert. It doesn't say that. It says they just kept giving and giving and giving, and God took what they gave, and he built this beautiful house, and he set up his presence right among them because they actually wanted him there. It was demonstrated by the way they give and sacrificed. And What nobody was saying is, I gave my 10%. They gave what God moved in their hearts to do. They, they abandoned everything else that, that could talk them out of it. They said, no, I just want to give. I just want to sacrifice. I just want to be a part because I know what he has done for me. And I know what he wants to do for me, and I know what he wants to do for my family, and I know what he wants to do for our kingdom, for for right here, right, the Israelites as they're in the camp, as they're going to the promised land. God had not yet delivered them to the promised land, and yet they were giving and giving and giving and giving and giving because they just wanted to be with him. And they wanted him to know that he was wanted in their community. So 2 Corinthians 9, 7, I know I'm bouncing around a little bit, but It's on the screen. It says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a, say it with me. A cheerful giver. A joyful giver. An overwhelmed giver. An excited giver. All the superlatives that I love to use, right? God loves an amped giver that just rolls in. Kicks the doors down. I'm here to give. I've been waiting all week for this. Of my time, of my treasure, of my skill set, of my dollars, of my heart, of my passions, of, of everything that has value. I just can't wait to give it to him because I believe that when I actually respond, when I do what God has stirred in my heart to do, and when we all do that together, we will have an overabundance. We will have more than enough that is needed for what God wants to do through this community in this community. And it's, it's, what's funny is it doesn't start on a spreadsheet and it doesn't start on a calculator. It starts in the heart. That's it. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's like this isn't revolutionary. Nobody's going to walk out and go, that blows my mind. Giving starts in the heart we all know it. Sometimes I think we just need to to hear it. So as it would be, this happens all the time. If you, I don't know if this happens like if you're a teacher or a politician or a doctor or something, but it's like oftentimes like when I study something, then in my professional life, it ends up being like, hey, you have to do this now. So like, if you're a doctor, it'd be like, oh, I stumbled upon an article and I started reading about this disease, but then, man, I went into work next week and I actually encountered somebody with that disease. It's kind of like, Pff. So this happens all the time when I preach. When I'm studying a text, uh, it comes up in different parts of my life. And uh, full full honesty and disclosure, I hate when it happens. I hate it because I'm like, God, I don't want to share another personal story of how I suck at this because that's usually how it ends up going. So in our small group this week, I'm going to tell you the story about how I suck with this. In our small group this week, we're reading this book. It's called Counterculture. It's by David Platt. David Platt wrote a a really popular, well-known book called Radical. It's about kind of flipping the American dream up on its head and saying, if we're going to chase and pursue a relationship with Jesus, then, then that actually opposes the American dream. And so we're reading this book. It's called Counterculture. And they just look at a bunch of different significant topics uh, that require being counterculture if you're a follower of Jesus. And I bet you can't guess what this week's topic was. It was giving and generosity and wealth and the American dream. And I'm sitting here going, I'm tempted. I could just take this and go, I got great sermon content now. Thank you, David Platt. Or I could come up and go, here's all the stuff that just bugged the daylights out of me. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you all the stuff that bugged me. Here's what I learned. (laughs) Average American earns 10 times more than the rest of the world, adjusted for cost of living. So anytime the Bible talks about the rich, we never feel like we're rich. We never self-identify as rich. Anytime the Bible says the rich, it's about us. We make 10 times more than the rest of the world. One billion people today live in desperate poverty, living on less than $1 a day. On average, American Christians give 2.5% of their income. So I wanted to, to give you a visual for that. That is, every $100 that I hand you, you donate a gallon of milk back. That sucks. That's average. We make 10 times more than the rest of the world, and we give, I bet you, it's not on the data, but I bet you anything, I bet we give way less than the rest of the world. There's other stats in here just talked about um, one of them said most uh, the average American or most Americans think that they're in the top 37 percent of earners in the world when we're actually in in like the top 80th percentile. So so if that tells you like the disparaging even feelings of our wealth or security or what it's like we we have so much more than we even think we do. And, and what I shared in our group, and so I'll share it with you, is I said, you know, I'm always convicted whenever I go on a mission trip. You know, John and I get to go to Guatemala here in a couple months together, or in a month and a half or something. And, and I shared with my, my group, I said every time I go to a different place or a different country and I see the standard of living, it, I always come back and I have this, this renewed vision of like, oh, I actually see my stuff how it is not how I've perceived it to be, not in comparison to my neighbors or the other people I interact with. It's like I always come back and I go, I have way more than I ever need. And yet I live so much of my life on this scarcity mentality. And then what what we often do is we go, okay, my standard of living and what do I need and how do I survive and all of my bad decisions or former decisions that I've led up until now, once all of those are calculated, what do I have got left? God, would you like my leftovers? And I said to my group, I'm like, saying it out loud, it sounds so stupid. It'd be like, hey, Jesus is coming to your house for dinner tonight. Great. Uh, what are you going to cook for him? I don't know. Just whatever we got in the fridge. You, you see how it's like, oh, that doesn't demonstrate like I'm Like, at that point, it's money's no object. I don't care about cost. I don't care. I, I just want to show them how excited I am. He's with me. There's a disparity between just personally between where I find financial security and where God wants me to find security in him. And as I stand up here, I'm not gonna, you know, I, I asked John ahead, I'm like, You sure you want me to do like a message on giving and tithing? Like, I no expert here. I'm not gonna demonstrate the but here here's what I do do. Um, we do our tithe, which is 10%, and then we do an offering, which is a percentage on top of it, and it's to a bunch of different ministries and missionaries and global things that just move our hearts, and right now, here's the, the angst that I feel. Man, you look at the economy, you look at the stock market, you look at jobs, you look at the Fed, you look at all this stuff that makes you insecure, and I keep coming back going, man, I just want to cut back my giving. And I keep feeling like God's going, that's where you want to start? When you're seeing how I'm moving and what I'm doing in all these different places and all these different churches, and all that, that's where you want to start? This is what I'm wrestling through. So I don't know, if Maybe hopefully that gives you hope. If you're like, man, I'm a lot farther than that guy, and he's the one talking. But the, the journey and the invitation is, I just want to invite you to be a part of it. That's what God says. Whatever moves your heart, I want to invite you to be a part of it because there's this great joy that comes when we give sacrificially, when we give first, when we give off the top. It says, this is the most important thing to me. God, you have my heart. You know, I think about Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross. He hung there on a cross. He was silent gave up his rights, gave up his wealth, gave up his position, his authority, his power. He he literally laid everything down. There was not one thing that he held back for you and me, and he would have done it if it was just for one of us. But he did it for all of us. He didn't hold one thing back, and he hung there, and the only thing he says hanging on the cross, right, about us is, Father, forgive them. I wouldn't have said that, but He did. And the invitation is just, would you just come? Let me reside in the place of your heart that is so often drifting away. So let me ask you this question here at Center Church. What does God want to build here at this church through you? Because it's a joy to be a part of. It is so much fun when you can be in a community and when you give even if it's silently even nobody knows right it's not about making everybody known or aware or doing something you know like i want to donate my family heirloom paintings and go on don't do that like just give of your heart and give in humility and give sacrificially because when you give of your time and your resources and your treasure and your money, when you, when you give the things that you love, that you care about and all of us do it together, we come together and what we will do is we'll look and we'll go, this is an abundance of what we need for what God has placed on our hearts to do in this community. You look at hand to hand, that's one story of maybe a thousand that God wants to do through this place, through this building, through you. And you may say, well, I don't have the ability to meet those needs right now. Neither did she, the woman on the video. Neither did she at the time. She was blessed by it. But you look at how God provided for her, for her family, for her children. What are those kids going to become someday? What are they going to remember? They're going to remember that there was a local church that saw them in their time of need. When a lot of other churches said, we're just going to play it safe. We can't take on partners. The economy's weird and funky. And bad. But man, there's this one church. It was called Center Church. And those people gave and they risked stuff. They sold stuff. They sacrificed stuff so they could provide. And I was one of those people. And now here I am years later, decades later, and I'm leading this organization or this church or this company or this. You look at how God can take a combination of different people with different passions, different gifts, different assets, different desires. He can take them and he can further his kingdom in a way that we could never do on our own. That's your invitation. It's just what, what's God moving in your heart. So these two questions and then I'll close. What is God moving in your heart to give for the sake of his kingdom? Put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites. What's he doing? What's he stirring? What's what's he unpacking deep inside of you? What is it? And then this last one, will you respond to his prompting before it's too late? Before you miss your window? Before you miss your opportunity to be a part of what he's orchestrated around you to have an impact here? So God, we just come before you. Thank you that you <clears throat> that you just led, that you went first, that you sacrificed for us, that you're, so, you're just so in love with us. You don't want something from us. You're not trying to con us or manipulate us or force us. You're not trying to do any of that. You're just inviting us to be a part of what you are already doing. And I just pray for every person in the room. I pray that we don't miss that. I pray for every person watching online or listening later. I pray that we don't miss it that we don't miss where you're working, that we don't miss where you're moving. God, even, I think it was John earlier today that said faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I pray that, God, we would just put our faith in you, that if we take a risk in this life, it's not gonna be in the stock market, it's not gonna be in a house that we hope we can pay for, it's not gonna be in a job that just pays us more money. I pray that the risk that we take is risking you, risking our assets and our resources and our time and our treasure, risking that by giving it to you. I pray that that's the legacy that we leave behind, and I pray that that's the legacy that this church is known for, for making a difference and an impact in this community. God, there's hearts on the line. There's souls on the line. And I just pray that we would be obedient, that you would give us the joy that so permeates the relationship with you, the joy that comes from giving. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said together, amen.